Client retention is something that I've actually never dedicated an entire podcast to, which is why I'm bringing in Jeffrey Sue. So I followed Jeffrey for a long time. He what I love about him the most is he is very no bullshit and he is a phenomenal coach in the functional space as well. But Jeff's been doing this for a really, really long time, um, over 10 years at this point. And I love that he's built a amazing multi six figure business with a really high client retention rate. And there's one thing that his clients will always say about him. He gets you results no questions asked. And he takes this approach similar to almost like a competition prep, but he infuses bodybuilding uh, methodology and mindset to general population in a way that gets people these amazing results and, and lifelong results, right? And so with that being said, we're diving into how to retain clients, his coaching methods, our coaching methods. And we're also diving into some business talk as well because, you know, business owner to business owner, we've got to go into that. But listen, if you are trying to build an empire and kick ass and take names and build a client roster that is just die hard uh, for you, right? This is the episode. This is going to be so helpful for you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHaze, a seven-figure business consultant and strategist for online fitness coaches wanting to build life-changing companies. Real talk, I wasn't an overnight success and that would make for a pretty boring story. I was fired from my TV reporting career of a decade with just $825 to my name. In just two years, I built a seven-figure coaching business. Now I'm sharing my proven strategies with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Welcome to the Taylor Hayes podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So if you're watching this right now, instead of listening, I just want you, or I guess listening rather, Jeff is wearing this nice button up. I just left the gym. I was really thinking based on your Instagram tag that you may not actually shower and we would be together in this like sweaty mess. So, um, you just said it's business that so you're dressed up and now I just feel underdressed for my own podcast. Okay. So. But I wanted to bring you on, Jeff, because even though I know we just formally met, I have definitely known who you were for, for quite some time now. And one thing that I've always seen about you specifically, other than just your skill set, is I can tell that you have a way of retaining clients and you're getting really amazing results. And I haven't formally done a podcast on coaching style and retention. So that's kind of what I want to dive into. But can you just tell me a little bit about how you started First Call Out Fitness and especially sure. where that name derived from? Yeah, sure. So First Call Out Fitness, I'll answer the second question first, is uh, it's it basically echoes the first call out, which is if you've ever been to a bodybuilding show, it's the top five or top six competitors that get called out from, from the competitor pool to be first lined up on stage. So usually when you're in the first call out, you will probably place very well in a bodybuilding competition. So the idea is to borrow the, the grit, the knowledge, the application from the bodybuilding world and translate that to the spectrum of fitness that is within the general population and help people find like a level of fitness and intensity to reach that um, that's within their tastes. So it's like, you know, bodybuilding for normal people, basically. So on my website, if you go on the website, it says real people, unbelievable results, because I want everything to be tangible and real and achievable. Uh, so you'll notice when I post transformations, they're often not very 
wow, you know, crazy one month transformations. They're very, you know, sometimes like I just posted one today. I was like, you can't see the difference really because it's only been a month and four pounds down, but this is realistic for a first step, right? So your first part of the question, um, I always loved bodybuilding. I loved working out ever since I was a kid with my dad in the basement, like most guys start off. Uh, my formal education is in finance. Never really liked the corporate world. I felt like I was a fish climbing a tree. Started this business on the side, helping people for free. It just kept growing. And then I left my corporate position in 2016, never went back. And that's why I'm here today. So before you started coaching, I mean, obviously you had a job while you started this. Mm-hmm. At what point, like, tell me about your first few clients, right? Because I think a lot of coaches listening to this are going to be more in that level where they're they're aspiring to be where you are. They're looking to build this amazing kind of like legacy and these transformations and have all of these case studies. And, you know, at least for me, I can say that my first like 20, 30, 40 case studies were not my ideal client. Like they were kind of just people I was helping, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there's no way, unless you're a complete anomaly, that you were like that niche down at the very beginning. So I'm curious to know kind of how this started for you. No, I mean, I coached everybody and I coached them for free. And it was just, uh, I think my very first client who is still a client to this day, he pays me a hundred bucks a month. Um, He was a friend that I grew up with in um, high school, middle school and high school. And so a lot of my initial clients were friends or guys that, you know, I I knew by a non-name basis in the gym. I was like, hey, man. Hey, bro. Hey, buddy. (laughs) And then like three months later, it's like, hey, what was your name? (laughs) So it was was stuff like that. Um, Those were my first clients and they were completely free. Or they would, you know, offer me 25 bucks a month or, you know, they'd buy me, you know, lunch or something here and there. And this was like what year-ish? This was like 2012, 2013. I I had my corporate job then, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of how it started for me a little bit. I would say it was kind of different because I was... When I was in TV, I was coaching people totally for free because I I truly had no thought of ever leaving, right? And then when I was fired, I was like, okay, this is real. I knew at that time I was not going to go back to news. And I had all this knowledge because I would like, you know, I would skip work and call in sick and go do things for my like sponsorships and things because that was when people were like, you know, flying us out to the Olympia and actually like doing education when you do that. And so I I would just call in sick and leave. And so I was like, you know, screw it. I'm not going back. I want to do this. And I remember like the first 10 clients, I was like, I'm going to do a legacy price. I did like 150 bucks a month. And some of those clients are still clients today. Now that was 2019, not 2012, but like I'm with you in in terms of keeping them and I haven't raised their rates or anything because they're so, they're so easy. Um, I love hearing that because I know that so many people get hyper fixated on like, well, that's not my ideal client. I don't want them. And, you know, whether you listen to Jeff's style and go free or 25 bucks, or you listen to me and and do a hundred bucks, it doesn't really matter. Like you just need to get people on your roster. And I think that's, that's a missed point that so many people have is they're trying to be so damn picky and so Mm -hmm. niche down. I mean, what do you notice? I know you do some, some business mentoring too. What would you say the biggest issue is aside from messaging and all of that, but like, why can people not get clients in the beginning? What, what do you notice? I think the number one thing is um, the inability to cultivate trust and confidence. Um, And I think trust and confidence can only come when you have no clients at all. 
it can only come from leading your own body and your own mind. So if you think about a lot of like the bigger name or more established coaches out there, they all have made a great transformation themselves, either some massive weight loss transformation, or they've competed in several bodybuilding shows or their IFBB pros or whatever. They have something to show and say, hey, I did this. I might be able to help you do it too. So if you don't have that, you can't just show up and be the prophet if you've never been the student, you know? I agree. I, I had a client come to me, several cases where somebody has really wanted to get into like the hormone, you know, stuff and functional, and they've like never done a lab themselves. And I'm like, how does one decide they want to coach hormones if like you've never even done any kind of lab work, right? Like you don't even know yeah. what your lab markers are. Forget about just like thinking you need that. And we'll definitely dive into functional later, but I'm, yeah. I'm with you. And I also think the other side of this is true too, where just because you have an epic transformation does not mean you need a coach either. Um, right. you know, so there's kind of like two sides, but I yeah. agree with you on that. I think that people also like underestimate when you're moving online and you're starting an online business, you know, I told 10 people every single day that my business existed in person. Like mm -hmm. I was talking to people at work. I was telling people at the grocery store, I was talking about the gym. Like I was just talking about my business all the time. And mm -hmm. those are the people that ended up hiring me first, you know? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I did the same thing because it was it was everything that I was obsessed with. I mean, going back to what we were just talking about, about setting an example of yourself, um, being passionate about this, right? You know, I said I started coaching in 2012, but my interest in fitness started when, you know, I was in, I was like a freshman in high school, probably. Um, I used to, you know, tear pages out of like men's health and fitness or whatever magazines, or I would print articles out and I would have this giant binder, like a three ring thick binder filled with just articles. And I remember writing diets for my friends that were on the football team and the, the wrestling team because I had to make weight. So I was obsessed with this stuff. Like even when I was like a kid and I was on these forums, like people probably don't even know what forums are now but like bodybuilding.com or professional muscle, that kind of stuff. I was just reading and posting and yeah, just absorbing information. When did men's health come out? How, how old are you? I'm 39. Okay. I was like, you're a little older than me, but I didn't know how much because I, I remember getting into college and I was already into health and fitness. I was like obsessed. I think in middle school, I, I became really obsessed with like that's when intermittent fasting came out. And I was like, what is this? I need to like learn about this window. And then it was not healthy, but it just, it snowballed. But then in, in college, you know, that's when like flexible dieting came out. Um, and I remember like, I had this internship for 60 minutes in DC. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to work on the weekends and do health and fitness shit. And I'm going to use my title to get in with people that I want to know me. And I remember interviewing Lane Norton and like these people that were popular at the time with flexible dieting. Right. And that's kind of how that snowballed into me just getting, um, just networking with people that I wanted to know me. Right. So I was, I was definitely setting myself up, but same as you, I was doing diets for my friends. I was, uh, I was, definitely preferring men's health to like women's fitness magazines. I thought the workouts were better. Um, yeah. you know, so it's just funny how it all starts, but um, 
I feel like for me, it was definitely an obsession, like not in an unhealthy way, but I was so obsessed with learning more and more and more while like getting my master's for something totally different, which is so funny. But I always was like, no, I don't want health and fitness to be my, you know, my job because it's my passion. It's so fun. And then it's just funny. Uh I don't know if I've ever had that thought. That was the biggest debate I had when I first made the switch. I was like, do I want to make what I do for fun my job? And I don't regret doing that at all. I don't either because yeah. it's funny looking back now. I mean, how many hours, I don't know much about like what you were doing in finance, but what was the workload like for you? Um, it wasn't too bad. I mean, there's like maybe on average, like 65, 60, 65 hour weeks. Not too bad. How hours a week are you working right now? Right now? Um, it varies. I would say Mondays and Tuesdays can be my longest day, sometimes 12 hours, 14 hours. But then other days, like nothing or two hours, you know, just depends. Yeah. Yeah. I always ask that question because, you know, when it's it's and I'm sure we'll talk about the the BS that we see on the Internet with other business coaches and just, you know, running a business is so easy. Scaling the seven figures is like, fine, work three hours a day and all of those things. But I I, I know you work and, and so do I. And so yeah. I just want to kind of ask you that question, but all right, let's dive into to retention because that's sure. what I really want to get into with you is like, how do we get clients and retain them? And, and a problem that I'm noticing with a lot of coaches is they're starting out with these really long contracts, like six months or one year, and they've never had that many clients and they're doing it out of scarcity to like retain people. And what's happening is they don't have the means to enforce their contracts <laughs> first thing. And right. two, like something's happening to where they're not retaining. And I'm, I would just like to know more about your retention and how you assess different points along a coach's journey with their clients to where they can kind of like course correct. Okay. Um, so first I should say that, you know, my, my client roster floats anywhere from 70 to hundred and it depends on the season, but I never really drop below 70. And I also never really go above hundred. Now to provide further perspective, I'm pretty much a one man show. I have, I haven't, I have an assistant coach. Her name's Laura Goldstein. She's great. She has 14 clients right now as part of that total roster count. But I take the brunt of that, that roster. Um, I think in terms of retention, what a lot of people don't understand, or maybe some people may understand about coaching or business in general, is that at the core of business, It's all about relationships and it's all about how you identify with a brand and who you like and who you want to be liked by. That's the core of business and that's the core of retention. I want people to think of retention like a romantic relationship or a marriage. Like you don't make a marriage work by just having fancy getaways every anniversary. It's like the little things around the house that you do for each other. It's a little day-to-day acts of love and acts of service. And that's the mindset that I apply to my client relationships. And we can dive deeper into what I mean by that. Yeah, I mean, I... The problem that I run into is, I mean, we, and I'm not even talking about people that the skill set is, is lacking. So if, if you know that you need to enhance your skill set, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking about coaches that are panicking when they get ready to have this re-sign conversation 
which we can talk about that because I don't love that conversation anyway. I don't operate that way. But, you know, these coaches that are getting ready to have these resign conversations and they're like, oh my God, they said like money's an issue. And listen, I, I know that can be a thing, but it's like, I've always tried to make my service a necessity, right? Yeah. And, and that's the way I look at it. And so when I have my check-ins, like on a weekly basis or whatever, I'm constantly painting a picture for what the next six months looks like. Like, how does this week fit mm -hmm. into like the next six months, even if they signed a three-month contract, how does it fit into the next six months? Mm -hmm. That way, when the re-sign conversation happens, it's almost assumed because we've been talking about the game plan the entire time, yes. Yes. you know, so would love to know your thoughts on kind of how you keep the ball moving forward. So, so I, abs I absolutely do that. Another thing that I would add to the ongoing check-in process when we're currently working with a client is getting ahead of problems. So um, a lot of times coaches will ask for, you know, things about like biofeedback and they focus on things like fasted blood glucose or basal body temperature, these technical data points, right? But I don't ask my clients, you know, some of my clients, like I don't ask that kind of stuff, right? I focus on things like, you know, is there anything right now as part of our coaching relationship that you find unsustainable or uncomfortable? Um, another question I ask is, you know, how would you rate your effort so far in our coaching relationship and, and you know, the tasks that you need to complete on a week-to-week -week, week -week basis? Or another question I ask is, is there anything that you would like to change to make things easier and more efficient for you um, during the, you know, within our process right now? And so when I ask these questions, I get ahead of a lot of resentment or clients who may not want to disappoint me or disappoint, you know, themselves. So they speak out about problems. So it's much like, again, like in relationships, when you have, you know, kind of like a checking in with your partner to see what's working and what's not. So that allows me to change things. So the client's always pleased and always happy with what we're doing so that they do want to continue. And then I do what, what you just said that you do. Well, so one thing that I want to, I guess, mention that I've always followed is, you know, the first 30 days are so critical in any coaching relationship. You want to make mm -hmm. sure that you're getting some kind of results, right? Yes. It could be weight loss. That could be just consistency. It doesn't matter what it is, but their mm -hmm. life, their life needs to be a little bit better. The first 30 days of working with you, because if you can guarantee success in the, that first month, then like you're golden. And mm -hmm. so I'm with you hundred percent. I think that a lot of coaches are focusing too heavily on like what the lab said, the markers, the biofeedback, and like, I get it. Yes. You're a coach. There's data. Totally, totally hear you. But if the relationship is tarnished, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. I agree with that because, you know, you, you have to create success before you can create buy-in and motivation. And so, you know, I think a lot of coaches run into the, the problem where they, what they think is best, they want the most efficient, the fastest results. It's like, I'm doing everything I can to help you overcome your PCOS, for example, right? But let's say the client, you know, can't even track macros or they, they're still drinking, you know, you know, five drinks a weekend or something. Well, I think that needs to be addressed first than any lab work to begin with, right? So it's really about setting the bar. I like to set the bar lower than what the client tells me they can do. Because just like business coaching, like, yeah, like I'm all in, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I'm ready to work, I can't wait. I've been following you for years. Like all that's just hype. But then once they actually get down to it, it fizzles out in like a month, right? So I like to set things low so that 
they have the inherent hunger and desire for more. And then I slowly pile on from there. I agree a thousand percent. I mean, and that's why, that's why I truly, so I've never had contracts for fitness coaching longer than mm. 90 days. So I've always done 90 days and then a month to month after that. So there's never a re-sign conversation for me. Mm -hmm. And with that, I've got a 22 month retention average. So okay. it's always worked really well because 30 day or 90 days is enough time to get the ball rolling, but they, they see the value in staying with you long-term and every single client, especially if you have clients for years, there are so many phases and things you're going to go through. And I mean, I'm not saying that everyone needs to work with you for years, but right. most people are not going to get the result that they truly want in six months, right? Like they need longer. It, it, we just know that. I mean, ask you or ask me, like, we're not done with our transformations. Like we're always working on some shit. At least I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that the 30 days is the first thing I want to emphasize. Second thing would be, how are you collecting feedback, both named and anonymous? I like to do, well, when I had a full roster and that was my focus, because now I have a very, very small, small fitness roster. I don't really take on new clients unless someone's referred to me, but um, we do quarterly surveys or we did quarterly surveys where I always like to ask, you know, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? What would make this better? Things like that. And I would do anonymous just because sometimes I would get different answers, you know? Mm. And I think a lot of coaches are terrified of feedback like mm. negative feedback. And I think that's a real problem. So I do that individually with my clients. I'll ask them, you know, what they think of things, what they think I could do better, what I'm good at, what I'm bad at. I have never sent out a survey though. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, a survey. there's never, there's not like a, a right or wrong way to do that. I just find that every now and then I've caught some clients where it's, it's not that they're afraid to say something to me, but they felt more comfortable even like praising me in an anonymous survey, you know, or it's, it's just interesting what I've noticed. Um, and I think the way that I've always phrased it of like, not what do you dislike, but just what do you want more of? What do you want less of those questions have always gotten me really far. And you could ask that to your clients, you know, named. And like, one thing that I do in my check-ins on a weekly basis is I always ask them, you know, like, um, is there anything I can do to better support you? Like, I always ask that question every single week. Yep. And so, yep. you know, usually it's like, nope, all good. Nope, all good. But every now and then it's like, I'm really struggling with X, Y, Z. And that's perfect, right? Not to mention, you know, for those of you that ever get into an issue with like a contract dispute or any of that, you've got so much proof that that client was happy, 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 happy the whole time. And so for me, it's also creating yeah. the paper shell. That, that is very smart. Um, I do have questions like that. I've just never done the survey, but you know, I might do one, you know, That's I think, um, you know, my assistant coach, Laura, I think she did one on her end. Mm -hmm. I just never had, because I just look at my people. I'm just like, they're still here. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah, for sure. And well, I'll give you an example. So <clears throat> everyone on my fitness roster has been with me for literally minimum two years and yeah. a lot of them three. And I don't really send loom videos much anymore to them because it's so it's like, easy, like they don't really need much uh, modification. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I decided, I was like, man, it's been a long time since I've sent loom videos to my fitness clients. I'm going to do this. And I did it like a few weeks ago and everybody was like, Oh my God, it was so nice. Like getting a video. I'm like, Oh damn it. I got to do those again. So you know, little things like that, where, um, I don't know, like you get feedback in different ways, but I, I definitely love the survey aspect. And like I said, you don't need to overdo it, but I think every like 90 days, send one out and just see, not everyone's going to fill it out, but mm. there's, there's just, um, 
you're never going to collect or it's never going to be too much feedback is what I'm trying to say. And the reason I, I bring that up is because, you know, you're somebody that you've got a great reputation, great authority. You've been doing this for a long time, but a lot of these coaches that are new to the game, as they start to get a roster with 50, 60, 70, 80 clients, a lot of them are scaling faster than they can keep up with. And with that mm. being said, things slip through the cracks and it's, it's sometimes a really great learning lesson if they have 10 people drop off in one month. And what happens, they start to blame themselves. They mm. freak out about it. They go into scarcity. They get the wrong clients in their roster when all they could have done was just get some information earlier on to course correct. And so that's really why I like collecting the feedback. Absolutely. And, and you know, I sound like a hypocrite now for saying this, <laughs> but one of the things that I asked some of my mentee coaches to do when they, they work with like, you know, some business coaching um, organizations out there. And this was during the pandemic and they were running all these sort of challenges and trainings and things like that. So they got a lot of clients and then all that was like dead leads now. Like the groups are all dead. Any sort of interactions that they've tried to initiate, nobody cares anymore. And I encouraged actually several of them to reach out to their, their former clients and ask them, what did they do wrong? What could they have done better? What did they like about the experience? And they got a lot of really good, helpful feedback. So yeah. that is a really good strategy. I, as myself, I just have not done that yet. <laughs> and I mean, hey, there's definitely things I tell my clients to do that either I haven't done myself or don't do. Yeah. And not because I think it's hypocritical, but like, you know, the way that you build a business in 2023 is very different than when you started or when I started, like everything's constantly evolving. And yes. so- there's always like, it's my responsibility and yours too, because you're mentoring to, to advise your clients the best way that you can. And like, it doesn't mean that we're doing everything that we're saying always. Right. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's totally fine, but that's the one thing that I can't, it just, I just, I hate to hear it when coaches are like, man, I had like six people drop and like, listen, we're in a service-based industry. You're going to have months. Like, cause at least for me, I swear when one client drops, it's like five of them drop. It just, it, it, yeah. it, it's like that. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but it is like that. But that is enough to break somebody who is not resilient, like mentally resilient, right? They take it so personally. And I yeah. also think it's important to decipher, do I have a retention problem or do I need to work on my emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. And the other piece to that would be your financial fiscal responsibility as well, because, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, we're all chasing after this fast growth and then this Instagram lifestyle and stuff. And all of a sudden you lose a bunch of clients and you, you're like, you feel that financial pressure. Then that, that really starts to mess with your head. I so. always like to talk to my clients about what I call the luxury limit. Mm. And, you know, all this really means if you're listening and haven't heard of this and maybe people call it different things, but, you know, I, I do not pay myself a lot take home wise. Like I just don't. Mm -hmm. And as I've scaled more in my business, I don't spend more in my life really. Like there, I'm not just like mm -hmm. crazy spending. I would rather spend more on like team hires or marketing strategies or things like that, but not really my, my personal life. Like I always tell people my mortgage is $1,800 a month. Like I'm not here trying to spend like 5k on rent. I think that's so yeah. stupid. Um, you know, if I don't have to, and that makes me feel really comfortable, but I see these coaches, the second they have a 10k month, whoop, they're spending. And then what happens the next month? 
Yeah. Default, default, default. Like it's a problem, right? And so I agree with you a thousand percent. Like there's, there's so many lessons to be learned. And I think that once people start to get clients coming in, they get really comfortable and they let off the gas. They stop DMing, they stop promoting, they stop doing it. And then they're like, oh, I didn't land as many sales this month. Well, Mm. you know, yeah, you let, you let off the gas, right? Like it's a constant machine that you need to run or oversee if you hire a team but it is constant. And then the other thing about the finances is that I think people should kind of have like a a range where like, this is where they are at the highest and this is their lowest and manage things like right around here. So that anything above here is gravy. And then you don't have to worry about hitting your absolute bottom. I agree. I agree. I think that I think that there's so much promotion out there with just like make cash and that's a business. Like that's not a business. No. You know, making money is not running a business. And I think it's important to know that. Like I, I also am somebody that prioritizes, you know, payment plans. Like I don't do pay in fulls. I mean, mm-hmm. occasionally yeah. I do for my, my course, but like fitness coaching clients and stuff like that. The only time I ever did a pay in full is if somebody was re-signing for a year, they're like, can I just pay for this upfront? Sure. Not a problem. But mm-hmm. I want you as you're scaling your business to be able to know what capital is coming in for team members, for yourself, just for that security and stability. Like, otherwise that's terrifying to me to not know like what the business is bringing in. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, with my mentorship, I actually taught a class on this about building a basic profit loss statement. A lot of people don't even know what that is. Like, you know, when I asked, you know, there were some people, some coaches I've had conversations with, I was like, um, so how long has this client been with you? And you know, how much do they pay you? When do they sign up? When does their package end? They don't have anything to track that or tracking the payments that are coming in from Venmo or Stripe or whatever. They, they don't, don't say have Venmo, stop. <laughs> right? Is that scary? Oh, no. Don't, if you're using Venmo, please stop. Just stop. There, there, yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of people who do that. It's just like the money is just like, like in, in the cloud. Like... <laughs> I mean, no, in the IRS contacts you, like, I don't know what's happening, but yeah, like, yeah. it's like people start a business and they're like, oh, it's whatever. It's an offline business. Like, no, like, this is so important. Yeah. No, that I'm with you. I, or if I ask a coach, like what their retention is, I don't know. How, how many sales calls did you close in the last 30 days? I don't know. I think like three, you think like three, well, that means you don't know. Right? Like, yeah. Having, yeah, I agree. So yeah. the last question before I get too far off of this is I already am. How do you ensure, and I want to ask this question because I get this all the time. It's probably the most frequently asked question I get in in terms to like check-ins, but how do you ensure that your clients check in? Okay. So I have, first of all, my check-in days are Mondays and Tuesdays only. I tell clients, if you check in outside of Monday and Tuesdays, other business responsibilities will come first. I tell them to check in before noon Eastern standard time, because I am based in Massachusetts. So I have clients, you know, some are out of the country, most are in the U.S., some are in the West Coast, so they know. Um, I split the alphabet, A through L on Mondays, M through Z on Tuesdays. I also send an email out. It's an auto email every Sunday. It gets updated to my current client list, so people drop off, they get removed. And it's a reminder of the check-ins. It's a reminder of my office hours, reminder of my referral program. And then it's just like sent out every Sunday. I mean, that's, that's easy. So what happens if you get a client because, okay, 
let's say I'm your client. All right. I've got, well, your business client, not fitness client, but listen, I got the reminder or I'm sending reminders. Um, everything's good. I've got the right questions on my check-in form, uh, yeah. whatever, but they're still not checking in. This girl mm -hmm. just won't check in. You know, she's complaining. She's not getting results, but she's not checking in. How do I get her to check in or him? Mm -hmm. I will reach out to clients up to three times. Three times. First time, it's going to be an email. Second time, it's going to be, be a DM. Third time, it's going to be a voice message. And if they still don't check in after that, and but their payments are still coming in, I will let the payments come in. So I have, and I, I kid you not, I have probably 10 to 20 clients who have paid me from 2013 to 2015 until now, nonstop anywhere from 200 to $400 a month. And they check in very sporadically, but the payments come in on time every month. And to those clients, I let them be. I don't chase after them. I do the same thing. Seriously. I don't know if I have a formal like three reach out policy. So all of my client communication, if we do check-ins, it's definitely an email. That's what I do. I'm mm -hmm. honestly super old school with my check-in process. I don't have like an app or anything. Um, so, yeah, I'm like Google docs and emails and I've never lost anything. And I, right. um, but we have, I use Voxer for messaging and I've talked to you about this, but I do not give my phone number to clients. Jeff, don't say anything. <laughs> Jeff's like, I text them on Saturdays. Um, we, no, we can, we'll expand on that. We'll expand on that thought. We'll get to that. Cause I know we were going back and forth on Instagram once on that, but anyway, and I'll tell you why I don't do that either. But anyway, my, my communication is Monday through Friday, Voxer. That's it. My check-in days are Tuesday. They are due in the morning. If you miss it, I say that I will get back to you, but it could take up to 48 hours. That's what mm -hmm. I say. Um, at this point in my business, late check-ins are just not responded to at this point. They've been with me for so damn long that it's like, get your shit in, you know? But my point is on the Voxer communication, if I, if they miss one check-in, I don't really say anything. If they miss two check-ins, I'll reach out to them. Mm -hmm. And I might reach out one more time, but if I'm not hearing anything on that Voxer message, I'm concerned, right? But at the same time, payments are still coming through. That's your responsibility. If you have a gym membership and you never go to the gym, they're not going to stop charging you. Right. That's what I tell them. It's like you, you have a mortgage to pay, you know, on the first of every month, you can go on vacation and go elsewhere, but you still got to pay for your residence wherever you buy your home. Um, but about the phone thing, I am a firm believer, and this is how I do things, right or wrong. I believe in when I sell coaching or my coaching packages, it all comes with nutrition, training, cardio, supplements, all that stuff. It's kind of like four wheels on a car, okay? You can't sell a car with two wheels. That's just my, my train of thought. Where I differ with pricing is service and attention and contact points. So I have a very, very affordable plan, for example, it's 200 bucks a month but the check-ins are every other week. In comparison, my highest tier plan is $1,000 a month and clients can DM and text me on that tier. DM? What do you mean? Like on Instagram? On Instagram. Okay, I just was wondering like where they're messaging you. Okay. Yeah, DM Facebook or Instagram or texting or I don't have WhatsApp, but basically IG, Facebook and texting. My personal phone number, they have it. Or if they need like a weekly phone call, we do that too, okay? So what I do, this is another thing with retention. 
is that I will allow people to, so I have lat, what's what I call ladder pricing. So you're getting all the same stuff, but the level of attention differs. So I may have a client who's very type A, very OCD in their mind. They really need that daily communication. I'll start them off at a thousand dollars a month. And I, and obviously they may not need it or they may not be able to afford a thousand dollars a month for a whole year, but they can step down and step down until they're calm and, but they're still getting the training and the nutrition. They just no longer need to bother me as much. And the beauty about this and the concept behind this is that the longer you retain one client, the more referrals you can get down the line. So to me, I would rather keep that one client and make less and keep them on for years and get more at a thousand dollars a month, you know, over time. Oh yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And you know, jokes aside, I know we've talked about it, like the, the whole texting thing. And I, I like the tiered option because I have, I've got clients that I advise to do things very similarly for me being a type a individual and working a ton of hours as I'm sure you do. It got to a point where when my roster similar to you, I had about, I think 75 clients was my, my height for fitness. Mm -hmm. And people were truly abusing it. Right. And that's my fault right. because I think if somebody breaks a boundary or breaks one of your boundaries, it's your fault. Like you, you let them break the boundary. Right. Yes. And so people weren't respecting that. And I was dealing with failed payments on Saturday nights and all this kind of stuff. And so I had to kind of migrate over to Voxer, which I check multiple times a day, but the notifications are off. So when I'm, when it's a weekend, I'm not seeing that. And it really does help me as a business owner, just disassociate for two days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that does help. I mean, very recently, and I mean, like this year, maybe in the winter, that's when I started doing less on the weekends. I would be creating classes and do, be planning other stuff. I just stopped and actually, you know, I actually started dating. Uh, wow, was, tell me how that's going. Give me some tips. It's, it, it's been six months. I've been seeing this new girl for six months now. Hey. So, uh, you know, that's yeah. longer than anything else that's lasted. So, <laughs> Nice. This is going to actually turn into a dating um, episode. That's part two. Um, so let me clarify. If I'm not traveling or doing something um, like with friends or whatever, because I've got plenty of weekends. I'm a very like introverted extrovert. I require a lot of battery recharge time. And yeah. so the weekends for me are my creative time and marketing time. So I'm not doing client work, but that's when I'll write content or plan things or work on like project development. But I'm not, I'm just doing a lot of creative work that isn't as doable during the week as I get distracted. I say distracted, but you know, mm. Slack is going off, Boxer's going off, emails going off, my team members need me, all that. So on the weekends, no one can get a hold of me. And that's mm -hmm. a balance that I have. So I'm able to kind of focus on some of those projects that may not get my attention during the week. Um, but again, you know, I personally would advise people not to share it. Well, Again, it's a preference, obviously. If you have some high, high, high tier where someone has your phone number, because there are definitely clients of mine, like my private business clients all have my mm -hmm. phone number and they've never once abused that. But there are times where things are going on and I need to get involved and just make a quick phone call and handle it. And mm -hmm. we don't have time to schedule a Zoom call. And again, there's five of them. That's a very like special thing and relationship. And if they know that they can't abuse that, none of them have. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, I get that. Okay. So 
I want to kind of pivot over to some, some like hot topics that I'm noticing lately and you can bring some up too. But the one that I brought up before we started recording officially was everyone is turning into a functional coach. Now everyone wants to be a functional coach. And I love that because I, I want everyone to have all of the knowledge, but I don't think that everyone needs to be a you or a Jason or a Vince, you know? And so what are your thoughts on, on that? Just what you're seeing? I think just like all trends in the industry, I think it's a trend. I also think that there's a, there's a danger and there will be people who disagree with me on this, but I've been very vocal about this and this is my stance. There is a very strong danger in trying to play doctor and trying to link up with clinics and prescribing things, even like low dose naltrexone or, you know, getting a hold of, um, I don't know, antibiotics. You know, there are some coaches who are like basically giving clients antibiotics because they can get it somewhere. Um, there's danger in that. And I try to distance myself as much as possible from that belief. Um, it is important to understand functional health, however, because at the core of it, we are a bunch of cells and hormones and organs and, and all that stuff. And lab work is important to understand that at a very basic level. You really don't need to know in depth, like how neurotransmitters work or all the different binding globulins that the liver releases to control thyroid or cortisol, right? You just need to know that stress can increase cortisol. Like, or eating, eating poor processed foods can increase insulin. You, and you see like an insulin of like 16 on fasted lab work. That's as deep as it needs to go. Um, I just, you know, I went down that rabbit hole mainly in 2020 and 2021. And I was like, damn it, I might as well just like go back and, and be a doctor, you know, uh, and, and quit this whole coaching thing. Uh, I, I also think that a lot of people who are getting into it, they have completely skipped the first several steps, which is people management, understanding just basic nutrition and basic training, and they're jumping right into hormones, uh, which is completely asinine, in my opinion, it's cart before the horse, big time, so... No, I can't, and something that I mentioned before we, you know, again, started recording was... <clears throat> Well, and you kind of brought it up at the beginning, but we coach what we've gone through, right? And again, yes, using like my story as an example, I am by no means really working with my clients extensively on hormones. I typically will outsource that to somebody and I'll walk them through a protocol. But the one thing that I definitely am well-versed in is adrenal dysfunction and all this bullshit because I've dealt with it for too long and I am a stress ball. So, you know, yeah. things like that I'm really comfortable with, but like, I'm not over here obsessing over understanding PCOS, like, nope, go away. See, yeah. nope, go away. Um, and I've got, you know, dietitians and RDs that I might link up with and say, Hey, they'll pay you. Tell me what to do. I'll walk them through it, you know, and, and little things like that. But I still yeah. don't call myself functional and I never will because just having a, a really solid foundation of like general knowledge to help a client have a cortisol curve again, or, you know, metabolize cortisol properly, like, cool, got that. But I'm not pretending to be anything that I'm not. And, you know, the gut health stuff is something that I just truly like, don't even fuck with. Cause that's not what I'm well-versed in, but you know, I always say, if you're trying to get into functional of any sorts, you know, just get some labs done, right? I know for me, like when I first 
Um, well, for me, I had an issue, but I wish I would have started getting labs done earlier. And more importantly, I wish I would have started taking action on labs earlier. So I was working with very well-known coaches in the industry and I would, I was competing a lot. And so I was getting lab work done, just like a basic panel. Right. And my cortisol was a five, like my waking cortisol was a five for like two years. And they were like, Oh, well, you're just stressed. Like it's fine. So, you know, that's probably why I had a really bad case of weight loss resistance because I was there for two plus years before I ever did anything about it. So little things like that, I wish I would have been more educated on and thinking back to how I was a coach in the beginning, it was very much like the whole IIFYM style. Right. And, you know, I think we grow and we learn. I don't think I put anyone in danger, but a lot of the clients that have been on my roster for three years or so they're now having, you know, hormonal problems and things like that. And I think it's because I'm just like looking under the hood now, as opposed to not mm-hmm. doing that four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm not calling myself a functional coach. Um, yeah. What would you say though, if somebody's interested, right? Before they go dive down the rabbit hole of courses and certifications that are thousands of dollars, like what would you, what would you suggest? I would just suggest number one, <clears throat> learning about how to, like manage different personalities and learn how people think and learn how to speak to people to convince them to do the basics. So just basic leadership skills is, so I would, I would start by reading some books on that first before you get into the technical stuff. Um, Because I've been able to solve a lot of quote unquote complex cases by getting someone who is, let's say a type A OCD, highly driven you know, a successful executive, for example, to dial things back. And that has changed their adrenal fatigue. And that has, you know, fixed the weight loss resistance without having to do any testing or taking any supplements or anything like that. Um, I'd love to know more about that. Honestly, I would love a like case study example. I I really believe that, you know, the people, see, here's the thing, the people who are attracted to our industry, attracted to health and fitness are going to be very type A people to begin with. Um, You know, there's a lot of disordered thinking like myself. I've talked about myself many, many times in the past where I suffered from bulimia, anorexia, Um, this all stemmed from my childhood. Um, the reason why I'm successful in business is because I have these traits that I'm now directing into something else. That's a little more productive. That's why I got into bodybuilding. That's how, that's why I got out of bodybuilding. And that's why I'm helping people now. And I understand that sort of thinking, um, it gives me a leg up, but it's also like a sad history of mine that has sort of like led me to, to where I am today. I firmly believe that a lot of the problems that we see physiologically are driven by emotional and uh, psych- psychological pain and trauma. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that um, isn't talked about. And a lot of us as coaches are not equipped to address that. And being on social media, the, on the client side, people are impatient to address that the right way. So, I mean, that kind of brings up a good talking point, but inevitably we kind of become our client's therapist. We're not trying to be, but we're with somebody for a long time and we're looking at, you know, half naked photos of you, or I'm looking at your bank statements or Lord knows what else you're showing me. I mean, it's really personal, right? I'm talking about money and seeing your body. Those are very personal things. And so we end up hearing about the divorces and the breakups and the deaths in the family and all of that stuff, right? Yes. 
How have you, before we talk about managing that, how do you manage yourself as the coach, not taking that baggage home with you at the end of the day? Oh God, I, I still struggle with that. Like there, there's a lot of, especially the cases like with the eating disorders, um, that just like hits like a, like a part of me that I, I can't describe. It's just like this pain that will never go away, you know? Um, I try, you know, you know, I try not to dwell on cases. Like what I used to do was I would like at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, I'd go back and reread like email threads or questionnaires to make sure that I was like doing it the right way. I would constantly obsess over what I was doing. I've stopped doing that. Once my work hours end, they end. So I don't, I don't do that anymore. Um, another thing is like, I realized that, you know, people have to be able to help themselves, no matter how much you, you positive reinforcement you give them. If they don't listen, they don't listen. And sometimes you lose the client, you know? So the, I, I don't really have like a, like a helpful answer here. Those are just the two things that I've tried to do myself and it's been a little bit better, but I still care a lot about every single person I work with. So it does affect me emotionally. I think having, being a heart-centered coach is a blessing and a curse, you know, because yeah. I'm somebody that will definitely go above and beyond for my clients and break my own boundaries just to like make sure everyone is good and taken care of. I'm very much like mom when it comes to coaching people. That's kind of how I am in my friend groups too. But yeah. I notice with, with fitness or business, it doesn't really matter. Like I'll, I'll bring up business specifically because I think financial stress can really bring out something very different in people. Right. Yes. And, um, yes. this pressure to perform or not having support or whatever it is. And, you know, something that I used to do years ago would, or even a year ago, I would rush to get them on a call. Like, let's get them on a call and fix the problem. Right. Because mm -hmm. I'm somebody that I don't need to process to handle a problem. Like if there is an issue and whatever, I want to solve it now. I don't need to like sit on it. I'm like, let's, let's solve it. Let's make sure that we're good to go. And especially when these things would come up on like a Friday, I'm like, I don't want to let this sit over the weekend. Like, I just want to handle this. Yeah. It's always the Friday people that stress me out. Yes. So anyway, I used to like get on a call, but since then, you know, I've spent so much time and I don't think coaches talk about this enough, but, you know, build your own curriculum and be resourceful finding books or whatever that can almost serve as curriculum for you because I'm somebody that I don't really have. I, I mean, my mindset's not perfect, but I don't ever have those freak out moments where I want to quit my business. Like that's never a case. I may have days where I just, that, yeah. yeah, like I just like, it's kind of, this is dumb. I don't want to deal with this today, but I've never been like, I'm going to quit, but I have clients that I work with that are like, Oh my God, can I even do this anymore? Like, it's just so crazy. I'm like, one yeah. quit. like we're fine. But they used, it, it would almost be like that fear from them was making me afraid. And mm. I was like, I got to fix it fast. Right. And so instead, what I typically do is now when I see a client freak out, I let them sit on it for 24 hours. And nine out of 10 times when I come back, they've already said, sent me another message saying, Hey, I sat on this for a second. I'm yes. Like, yes. <laughs> and Absolutely. Because so then you avoid this emotional ball of yarn or perhaps worse you get into an argument with the client and and yeah I've had that happen to me in the past before and again I'll borrow from the relationship analogy sometimes it's just best to just like 
take some time apart and think. Well, and I even tell, you know, I'll use the example with like fitness clients too. That's honestly why I stopped responding on the weekends because what happens on the weekends people binge eat and they make dumb decisions and yeah. everything is a fire on a Saturday night and yeah. I would respond during the fire but yeah. like the police hadn't arrived yet you know what I mean like no <laughs> and so when I started responding on Mondays they yeah. would you know if I see a six minute voice memo I already know something bad happened, right? Like if someone's sending me a long ass voice, something broke. And so, but not, I mean, I've, I've truly never, ever, ever had a client tell me there was an emergency that was an emergency, fitness or business. Mm -hmm. If I just give them time to sit on it, they learn how to emotionally regulate. And that's so, so critical with business clients in particular, because if you do not know how to calm yourself down and emotionally regulate, good luck scaling a business. Exactly. And I think as coaches, we do a disservice by engaging right away. So this is actually a form of coaching and mentorship by letting the person sit in it for a little bit. And then we come in and we educate and support. I, I joke a little bit. I, um, anytime I write content, of course, I'm always thinking of like very specific things that are relevant, you know, whether it's something that I did, a client, whatever. And yeah. I post recently about how it drives me absolutely insane when my mentor leaves me on scene but he does this and I know exactly what he's doing and I see it and I'm like listen can you just give me the I just have an answer I just need I need an answer like just give me an answer but it's funny because he's so selective with when he does that and it's like I'll always get an answer but it's like he intentionally just like looks at it let, lets me know that he's seen it and then yeah you know, lets me kind of figure it out sometimes. And I think that that's so valuable, truly. Like, I don't know about you, but there are so many times where, you know, unintentionally, I don't think it's anything that maybe we do as coaches, but our clients become so codependent on us to lead them. Mm -hmm. and they have to learn how to lead themselves, right? It's kind of how I mentioned earlier, like we're not, we're not their business managers. We're not their social media managers, right? And so- right. Um, we have to build leaders out there too. And the same thing goes with your fitness clients. Like you don't want them to be codependent on you forever. Like, oh, well, Jeff said I couldn't have a free meal. So I, I, I guess like I can't have a burger this week. Like make smart decisions, right? Like don't go off the rails, but you know what's going to happen. Like nothing crazy. Just get the side salad and not the fries or whatever the hell it happens. <laughs> like they're going to be fucking fine, you yeah. know? Um, but I always, I was just really curious to know about how you handled that like that emotional baggage, because we have really heavy conversations a lot with our clients and it's hard to shut the laptop and just, okay, I guess I'm going to go watch Netflix now, or I guess I'm going to hang out with my wife and kids. Like it's hard to do that. It, yeah. Yeah. Over time, it's, it's something that you learn over time how to do. Um, it's also like, I think it's also beneficial to find some sort of self-care that you enjoy and I don't mean, you know, meditating or yoga or ice baths or anything like that. I mean, if you like that kind of stuff, do that. But, you know, reward yourself, too, as a business owner and a coach periodically to remind yourself that you are making a difference and you're earning a great living. It's a privilege to be able to do what we love. And, um, yeah, you deal with some shit here and there, but overall life is good. And to maintain that perspective is healthy. So I want to kind of pivot into business chat because yeah. obviously you've got a very successful business, you know what you're doing. Um, and even if, you know, you and I have different ways of running a business, I mm. obviously what you're doing is working. I don't think there's one way to do anything, but um, I would love to know how long it took you to 
and again, I don't know if you remember this, but like, when did you have your first six figure year? Like when did your first year was like, I know you're unofficially doing it in 2012, but when would you say that you started your business and how long did it take you to build a six figure business? Uh, officially I started in 2013 and my first six figure year was $186,000. And that was 2019, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. I think that, so it doubled, it actually doubled from 18 to 19. So I went from like 90 K all, it just doubled the year later. And you left your corporate job. What year again? 2016. Okay. What were you charging in 2016 for pricing? 250 to 350. Okay. That's about what I charged too. I really never charged a crazy amount for fitness coaching. Um, I think it's really important to hear stories like that because even if you weren't putting all your effort into it until 2016, I just see so much bullshit on social media with these coaches claiming they're making eight figures. I don't know if you see these people, but they're holding like, oh oh God, I'm gonna send you profiles. They're holding like balloons with like an eight and an M like claiming they're making like 8 million and 10 million and working three hour days. And it's because they're aligned and clients come to them and yeah, that's not, no, that's not the type of coaching that I think you and I want to do, you know? Not, it's not because I don't, I, I think that I would have a yeah. lot of people trying to sue me if that's what I was selling. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, I don't know what they're dealing with, but I'm like, okay, if you're making that money, like show me the statements. And I know yeah. that you do this. Like, aren't you, I swear I've seen you do this where you like show proof. Like this is what I'm actually making. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's, that's something that I've gotten some flack for and other people like it. Um, like I posted this. So, you know, in, in June, I had an $81,000 a month, which is one of my highest months ever. However, I told people that that was because I also had a lot of paid in fulls that month. Usually I float around 50 to 60 K on a, on a, you know, normal basis. So it's, you know, first off, and is like, like a half, let's call it like a half a million to maybe 600 K business, which is a lot of fucking money for a guy who isn't married, no kids. And I live well below my means for that level of income. I don't need to, to make millions. I don't want to make millions coaching. I want to make millions in real estate and other businesses down the line. You know? So. I think that's really beautiful to say too, because I mentioned that even yesterday, I, I posted something about, you know, there's two sides to this. Number one, some people just don't want to run a seven figure business. And I'm not saying this is you by any means, but some people they're like, I I just don't want to, because you know, it's, it's too much work and I don't want to do that. Okay. Fair. And then some people are like, I don't really, I just want more time with my family and I want more vacations and passive income. And I'm like, that is a seven figure business, like more than likely, right. To outsource or have the, the support that you need. And I think that people kind of forget like, okay, if you want, if you want to have more time freedom and you don't want to spend time in your business, you're going to need more capital up front to invest in who right. you need to make that Systems, happen, people. which is a step. Anyway, my point is like, it's good to hear that though, because I know a lot of people that think the only way to make a lot of money is to have a team of like a million assistant coaches. And I love that you only have one and you're not I don't think you're wanting to build a team of ACs. I don't, I don't want a team. I don't want a team. Like, like we were talking in the DMs before, like I have no formal like pipeline. I have no marketing systems. I've never taken out a Google ad. I've never had any paid ads on social media. Um, this is all just word of mouth. Just people just like talk about me 
And I don't even do any content creation. All I do is I, I post screenshots of my conversations and I screen I record Zoom calls with people and I post the clips of that. And then I post client transformations. I just, my, my content is documenting my day-to-day -day, and that's all it is. And it, it's been working for me for over 10 years, so. People, that's the the one thing. I mean, I will say I love that. That was not my story necessarily. What yeah. helped me was the fact that I was just very, I had to do quite a bit of outbound reach. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, I've told just before, I built a seven-figure business not running ads. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until recently that we started running ads. And that's fine. But for me, profit margins were more important. And I think that people really mm -hmm. underestimate, going back to the original point, is like, take care of your fucking clients. Yeah. If you take care of your clients, people will come, you know? Um, and you got in before social media was kind of the way it is now. And you don't have yeah. a lot of followers. I don't have a lot of followers. I think it's really helpful to know that too. Like you're not an influencer that's yeah. making all this money. And that's what I love about it is like your page, you don't have to have beautiful aesthetic content. And like, I if know. I see a person <laughs> with like a neutral aesthetic, like I'm over it, you know, like, I definitely care what my shit looks like, but yeah. even still, like for me, I just want quality out there. I just want quality, you know, yeah. and like you said about showing your day, I don't care how boring you think your day is. Somebody wants to watch it. Like, yeah. just walk me through your day. That's true. You know, it's funny. Like I would definitely not, not call me an influencer. I don't even have 6,000 followers. And, and you know, you, you know, Justin Mahaley and you know, obviously, you know, Goob, right? John Dorsey. They both like said something about me one time, like publicly. They're like, yeah, that guy, Jeff Sue, he has like less than 6K followers, but he's monetized the shit out of his social media. And I was like, that's an insult, but it's also a compliment. So I'll take it. <laughs> it's so true though. When I, I mean, when I started my Instagram, it was like when it first came out in 2012, and it was pictures of oatmeal and my Garmin watch. You know what I mean? Like it was just whatever. And then I happened to work at a GNC all through grad school. And so I would talk about supplements and whatever the fuck else I was doing and my workouts. And so I already had a fitness base, but when I started my business, I had about 5,000 followers mm -hmm. and four years later, I have 8,000. Like that's not, that's not much growth. You know what I mean? Like that's not really anything. But I've never given a shit about the vanity metrics because I know that I control sales as long as I am bringing people into my ecosystem. Because if I can get somebody to listen to my podcast or to, you know, look at something or talk to me, I can close them. That's not an issue. But yeah. I think a lot of people are not talking about their business. They're sitting back and hoping they might be creating good content, but no one's looking at it. Right. Right. You know? Yep. I know plenty of coaches who, some of I've mentored who have like, crazy, crazy following counts, but very, very small rosters. And I'm just like, what's the point? <laughs> right. I, I mean, I've, and that's, it's funny too, because a lot of influencers that I've worked with, it's honestly challenging sometimes because they'll, they've had like 10K months, 8K months, whatever, but their income is dipped and they're like, what happened? And so I asked them, well, what's your marketing strategy? What's your DM strategy? And they never built one. But because they did it before, just like posting try-on hauls, they assume they can do it again without strategy and mm -hmm. that their ego is involved, right? They're like, I feel like I'm above the DMs. They, they may not say that, but that's kind of what they're feeling like. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, people that have hundreds of thousands of followers, they're making no money, not, and not all of them, right? Some of them have money, but a lot of them, that doesn't mean shit. So yeah. 
I think it's important to always remember that like you control sales. Um, so what would you, I mean, I know we kind of talked about this before, but I'm going to start with coaches that are beginning, like just starting out and then coaches are trying to scale to the level that you're at. What would you say if you could give one piece of advice or two pieces of advice to coaches just starting out, trying to hit like their first 5k month, leave their full-time job, what would you tell them? I would tell them not to leave their full-time job for a while. I would say, hang on to your full-time job or find a job that pays for your bare necessities, lean on resources if you can, like family and friends, spouse, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, so that you don't have a gun to your head. And then what I would say is in the beginning, obviously you don't have a lot of clients. What can you show? Your own body. And then you can show knowledge that you have digested fully and then translate that into applicable takeaways that people can use. Because guess what? People are lazy and people don't want to read. And if, if they do read, they read at a third grade level. So if you can read like an endocrinology textbook and break down how the adrenal gland works, for example, and how that relates to cortisol and how that relates to the single mom who is working two jobs and gets four hours of sleep per night and what she can do to remedy that situation, that's valuable content. Then you get eyes on you, people following you, and then eventually they interact with you. So I use, this is something that I teach to my mentees, but the stages of business growth or, or whatever is number one, it's attention. You need something to bring a spotlight onto you. Then what you, what is shown has to be somewhat attractive and then you get interaction and then you get the, um, the retention you get to keep interacting over time. So there's, there's steps to it. I agree. I think that messaging is always the biggest thing I look at, even all the way to seven figures, like the one thing that has to be just so, so crystal clear is like, you have to speak to your audience in a way that makes, you know, your, your ideal client say, was Jeff talking to me? Like yes. that, felt, that felt like a personal attack today. And I'm serious. And, and yes. if you're struggling with that, think about one person on your roster or one person in the DMs and just literally speak to them. Like, don't call them out by name, but just like pretend that whatever you're writing is to them. You know, I mean, literally the, the days of, you know, how to get more protein, why your hormones are fucked up. Like those posts are on Pinterest. It doesn't fucking matter. Exactly. Yeah. The gut health. Have you noticed the gut health, estrogen dominance post, that stuff? Nobody. Estrogen dominance posts are everywhere. I know it's, it's, it's just complete. Like it's, there's no value now. Right. And yeah, it's the stuff that gets people like, like you get into their head, right? What you just said, it's like, they're like, Jeff is talking to me, right? Or Taylor is talking to me. That's the stuff that you know is gold. That's content that reached through the screen into their hearts and minds. And now they're paying attention to what else you have to say. Yep. What would you say is the biggest sticking point for coaches trying to scale to like a million dollar company or high multi-six? Well, I mean, high multi, I can talk to that million. I can't talk to, I think it's, it's an inherent desire because it's a whole nother level to get there. I do think though, and this is something that I will admit that I do this by choice. Um, I'm a lone wolf. I like to move fast on my, on my own. I like complete control of what I put out, but there's a saying that goes, if you want to move fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with other people. 
So when you are trying to think about scaling to, you know, multi high six figures or millions, you're not going to be able to do that as a one man show. You need to collaborate. You need to have other revenue streams, which these multi-million dollar coaches, the ones who are doing it right, they do have. So I know myself and I know where I'm happy in terms of control and in terms of how much money I want to make. So I make the choice to go alone. I'm not saying that's right though for everybody. I think whatever advice you or myself give, we've obviously created successful business models and they're very different, but Mm -hmm. either way, I think the biggest sticking point that I see from coaches that have hit a six figure year versus a seven is they are not clear on what the hell they want. Their Mm -hmm. vision is not clear. They are still chasing money, which doesn't really motivate them in the end. And they almost are like, well, I just have clients and I don't really know what I want my life to look like. And I, I, Mm. I will say like one of the best things that I have done for my, myself and my business is I have multiple days a month where I just think like, I literally just brainstorm or think I'm not producing, I'm not creating, I'm not coaching. I'm just literally like, okay. 2023 or whatever year, you know, like, what does that look like in the future? You know, pick the year. Um, And if you've never done like a three-year vision mapping exercise, Mm -hmm. I would say go for it. Like who's on your roster? Who's on your team? What are you selling? How much is it? Where are you waking Mm -hmm. up? What's the vacation? Who's with you on vacation? I mean, little shit like that, seriously, because if you're just making money and chasing sales and you never lift your head up to see why, like you don't live for your business. Like you built a business to live a life that you love. And if I know I love to work and I work long as fuck hour days too, but it's because I want location freedom and time freedom and all the freedom, right? Yep. No, no, absolutely. It's all about the the life you want to lead, right? So one thing I think you, you, I think you must be able to do this is to visualize your success, right? And that success is so real to you that you can taste it and touch it as if it already happened. I, I, I tell people that I have that ability and people look at me, they're like, I don't really get it. But it's like, I remember when I was sitting in one of my corporate jobs and I was like in my chair, bored out of my fucking mind. And I was like, imagine if I could make an extra, you know, $5,000 a month. How many people, if I just charge $50, how many people would that be? What if I charge, what if I could get $200 a month? How many people is that? And then what would I need to sell to do that? And so if you told me back then that I'd be charging some people $2,000 a month now for business coaching, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, no way. But that has happened over time or getting 500 a month for fitness coaching. Um, and I've always had like the lifestyle that I wanted in mind. And then I backtracked into what I need to do to serve people so that I deserve that lifestyle. I also never stop long enough to get too scared. Like I stay really uncomfortable. Mm. I don't give myself time. I don't talk myself out of things because I just, I make moves before I'm ever ready. Truly that I know that's cheesy or whatever, but it's like every investment or whatever. I've never been like, okay, I'm ready for this mentor. Now I'm like, here's my card. You know, like that's just how it is because I don't think it's, I don't think it's bullshit when I say that not going back to my career was like the, the riskiest thing I ever did. Starting an online business was the riskiest thing I ever did. And it was the best decision, but also like, I, I can't say this enough. 
Like if you want to live a life that no one else is living, you've got to do what no one else is doing. And I think that when you're really ready to go the mile or however many miles, you better be fucking ready to like back up your actions, you know, back up your words with actions is what I'm trying to say, because I see such a lack of just being unconditional in your business, right? Like I always say to me, business is kind of like, there's a rule of thirds. So a third of the time you're stoked, you love it. A third of the time you're like, this is fine. A third of the time you're like, what the fuck? I hate this. You know, like things are crazy. And if you ever get too lopsided on one way or the other, then there's a problem. And look at that. But I think as you keep scaling, people also forget about the, the ands that pop up. So awesome. You hit an, and this is not you, but you hit an 80 K month. Amazing. And you might've had more payments fail, or you had more sales and you have more clients drop this month, whatever it is, like there's always an, and, and the more you scale, the more, ands there are, and you have to be prepared to handle those problems, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Again, it's like, you know, relationships, you know, it's not always going to be rosy. You know, you're going to have fights. You're going to have boring years, years, right? If you're married long-term, not that I would know, but from the reading that I do. <laughs> from the reading on relationships, our next podcast is going to be about dating advice. With yes. Yes. I'm going to ask you so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, seriously though, you know, as if you're listening to this, I just, I really want you to get just like some real perspective on, on scaling businesses and of course, like increasing client retention and, and just keeping your clients happy. Right. Um, and understanding that just whatever you're doing is, is not a walk in the park. And if you're ingesting any information that tells you otherwise, stop ingesting it. Completely, <laughs> hey, 100%. Nice. Anything I should have asked you that I didn't? No, but you, you know what? I'll, I'll ask, I don't know how long your podcast usually go, but I do have one question for you. Okay. How many clients have you had to fire from day one until now? Business or fitness? Either or. Fitness. I don't really know if I actually fired any because what would happen is what we were talking about earlier where mm. somebody just like wouldn't, reach out and we tried and I, they just kept paying me. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about like conflicting, like real conflict, like, oh, this right. Right. like they, they did something like horrible that you had they to be did. like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Um, I did have one fitness client that was an attorney and started like threatening me and, and being just like a complete asshole that I was like, all right, I've got to like, we're done, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. I'm not even going to enforce this contract. Like we're just done. But yeah. that's the only thing I can think of is I, 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 he was just, you know, because he was older than me, I felt like he thought that I was just running some like shoddy business. Um, yeah. He was mad that he wasn't losing weight. And I was mad that he was eating Chinese food every night. So oh. it went, you know, two ways. Fitness clients. Yeah. It's never been like I've had to fire them because, you know, what I, what I have dealt with is the, the clients that might say something like, you know, they're three quarters of the way into a contract. And they're like, I don't know if I want to be a coach anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, you can keep paying or whatever, but you know, I'm not, you're not getting out of your contract because you changed your mind. Right. Um, that's happened. So I've had like tough conversations there. Yeah. Um, I really have never had a fitness or a business client do something terrible where I had to fire them. Mm. I'm, I'm going to find conflict like well before it actually gets to that point. Like I, 
am very, very involved with my clients. And so there really hasn't been an issue. I did have one person in fitness coach Academy, which is my course one time. She was so pissed because I happened to be on vacation the first day she joined and like tried getting a refund and like, just, it was like so stupid. I was only gone for one day, one singular day. And yeah, so that was like, again, but I think that was more of like, there's something like wrong with you, like not me. <laughs> yeah. Everything- fine. Like you're in a course, like watch the modules and do the things. But I've, I've been very, very fortunate that I've never had clients do anything crazy. I've definitely had clients, you know, do some shoddy stuff to try and get out of payments. But um, I mean, it's great when you have a solid attorney and collections team handle that. So I, I think that people also, yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's so funny to me how people just think like, oh, I changed my card. (laughs) I got out of the payment. (laughs) Yeah, well, collections is going to fuck your credit for a while, but yeah, you're right. You got out of it. Like you did it. I think people are so, it's like, imagine if I just change my credit card on my mortgage and stop paying and like move. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like it's, So I, I think that it, it's more of just like people that are truly never going to make it in business and handle situations like children. And it, it says volumes about where they're thought yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm really fortunate. Like I had a group of clients get like, um, like matching tattoos saying all in like at my conference last year. Cool. So like, I, I have a really solid like rider deck, probably like you do too. Like good culture, culture. If a, if a client is ever pissed about their results, they always are like, I know this is my fault and I have not executed. I've really never had somebody be like, this is your fault. You know, and if they do, I'm like, well, I have all these recorded calls where that's not the case. So, yeah. You know? But I mean, have you had any crazy situations where you've had to fire clients? Um, I had one client, a female, that sent me nude check-in photos. So <laughs> I had one girl who claimed that I gave her an eating disorder. Uh, she made a really long post about it because I have I was having her track macros, and she had a cheat meal like every week. You know, so that that was ended. Um, I had one person do the changing of the cards thing, and you know, I said you had to pay, and she said, "We'll battle it out in court." I was like, "Never mind, you're gone." Um, I think total in the ten past ten years, maybe like five people like this. Five situations. I was gonna say, I fitness was way more chill. You know, I probably yeah. had like one or two fitness clients that were ever a pain in my ass. Um. And yeah. business, I think just like when you invest more money, I think that people will, will do crazier things. Oh yeah. Things. Yeah. They demand a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah. But realistically, I mean, I've definitely had like two clients and it was, it was actually connected, which mm. like, you know, weird shit happens, right. And in, in group yeah. containers where, you know, they tried to say that I was like, a fraud and I was lying and they didn't, they didn't quadruple their business. Like I promised. I'm like, Oh, Jesus yeah. like I don't promise that shit. So remind me again, how often you're in your DMS. Oh, that's right. That's the right. conversation we have every week. So, you know, like I said, I, I set myself up to make sure that I'm never promising anything. And yeah, I, I probably here. like you do, I over deliver always. Yeah. Ultimately we're here to guide. We're here to educate. I mean, you can go to Harvard and you could become the Unabomber <laughs> or you could become, you know, a world-renowned heart surgeon. It's up to you. <laughs> I agree. 
<laughs> I agree. Anything else you got for me? That was a good one. What's what's your favorite emo band? Do you like Good Charlotte? I do like Good Charlotte. Yeah. yeah. I love Good Charlotte. Yeah. I love I, I I like that you you were into punk and emo because that's the shit that I grew up on. So it's like emo to like I like yeah. Taylor Swift now though. I don't know if you like Taylor Swift though. Taylor Swifty? You know, I like, okay, I, I will be brutally honest. I feel like this is like a cop-out answer, but I really stopped listening to her probably after like 1989 I, I liked. And then after that, I kind of stopped. Like reputation's mm. not bad, mm. but- I didn't like, like reputation, no. That's when it started getting different for me. Like I didn't love it, but yeah. give me some like fearless, like I'm good. Like- Yeah, okay. Her old school She was still twangy, you know, a little twangy. Yeah, red, the Red album was pretty good too. So. Yeah, Red's good. Yeah, yeah. My uh, the coffee shop I go to every single day they have tip jars where they like you're voting on something. And one day it was like Red or 1989. <laughs> so what would you have picked? Oh God, I, I'd pick Red. I'd pick Red. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go see Taylor Swift? No, no. But you know what's funny? I got an invite. Um, We'll see what happens, how this ages, okay? We'll see how this ages. The girl that I'm seeing right now, she invited me to go see Taylor Swift VIP tickets in Japan in February for my birthday. Well, you're obviously going. What do you mean how it pans out? Yeah, what if we like break up before then? So oh I don't know. God. We're, we, we have to do a podcast episode before then. <laughs> Just stay <laughs> together until the end of February. Just if so you I have tickets to go to Japan, I think you're good. Like it's only six months away. You're fine. I can last another six months. You got it. Yeah, because that's the one year. That's one year. Yeah. Oh my God, Jeff, you're going to make it. We'll see about that. Knock on wood. When was the last time you were in a relationship? Oh God, 2020. It was like the end of a, a 10 year one. So. Oh, wow. And yeah. you never got engaged? No, never. No, that, this is a whole other podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> you asked about emo bands, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I need to know. So, so you are emo. Okay, cool. I, I'm I excited. Am, I am emo. Yeah, yeah. Every now and then, I'll I'll listen to a Taylor Swift song and I'll cry. That's not emo. Oh my god. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to a playlist. I need to I need to know more about what you listen to. We'll, we'll share that in the DMs then, I guess. <laughs> awesome, Jeff. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with me. This is great. Thank you. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Taylor Hayes podcast. Love the episode? Share it and tag me on Instagram. Have a question? My DMs are always open. Until next time. Bye, y'all.